This Oscar-like statue that Nebuchadnezzar awards himself towers 90 feet, to put it into perspectives that you know, 90 feet tall and just 9 feet wide. You may recall from Daniel's interpretation that the only the head of that, that image was of gold, but Nebuchadnezzar covers this whole thing in gold. I suppose it's to honor himself. It may also be to that god. You remember we discussed of Marduk, their god of gold. It could be that as well, but no, no doubt to proclaim himself as the greatest of all. And on this Oscar night, we have the who's who of celebrities gathering from across the kingdom, along with the most talented musicians that are available to him. And Daniel is evidently gone from Babylon. We don't hear anything of him here, and uh, perhaps on the king's business, but his three friends are faced with a dilemma. Verse 3. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, treasurers, counselors, the sheriffs, all the rulers of the province were gathered together unto the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar that the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they're all there standing. Then and herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Music has a way of moving everybody, and sometimes... In some wrong ways, verse 6. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. The dilemma is created by the king's command to worship this image. Again, this image that is 60 feet tall by six cubits wide. It's interesting, the number of man is six. Of course, the number of Antichrist is that six by six, the 666. The image was clearly for the purpose of uniting the kingdom under one religion, which you may recall, remember our study in Genesis, you may recall that first attempt was made at the Tower of Babel, and it is an attempt that only the Antichrist will one day be able to achieve. In passing, I don't know if I should make much of this, but it is an interesting phrase that stands out, and it's repeated some five times in this chapter. Verse 5, we read it. Verse 7, we read it. You'll see it down in verse 10 and verse 15. All kinds of music. Now, I'm, I'm not going to preach a sermon on it, but I just want to, just in passing, right? Music of the world is, in fact, inclusive. All kinds of music, right? It unifies great numbers of people to respond in various ways. It's a powerful persuader of people, music. All kinds of music. But the music of God is unique. And it appeals only to the redeemed, as it's described in Revelation 14, People will hear our music and it may not make much sense to them. There is a boundary. I'm just suggesting that there is a boundary of Christian music that should not be crossed into all kinds of music if we just put good words to it. Like it doesn't matter. I think it does matter. Whatever your standard of music, the Christian simply cannot say, 
all kinds of music are okay. I'm just going to throw that out there, and while you're chewing on that a little bit, let's get back to this dilemma of these young people, besides the music thing, all right? This would violate the first of the two, first two of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20. You'll have no other gods. Well, they just set up this god. And you'll worship no other god, no, no graven image, and you'll not bow down to them. So there's a clear command. Remember the conversation we had where God, when they were taken into Babylon, where God's word spoke, they spoke. Where God's word was silent, they were silent. This is a clear command. There's no conversation about it. God said no graven image. And furthermore, you don't bow yourself down to any other image. So when the music played, they're going to stand out like a sore thumb. Because when everyone else is bowing, these young men had no thoughts of just going along to keep the peace. Because remember, that's the spirit of Babel. And the spirit of many Christians today, and I'm, I mean, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? I mean, they're not asking you to sign anything. It's not like you're going to, it's not like you have to say, I deny Christ. All you have to do is just be quiet and just, you know, maybe just one knee or something. You know, you don't have to bow, you know, way down. Or can't you just, do you really have to stand out from everybody else and make such a big deal about it? Just go along to keep the peace. That's the spirit of Babel. If when these young men heard the music, they did not bow, they knew they would surely face the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 13, the rage and fury. Down in verse 19, it says he was full of fury. The wrath of the king is literally kindled in this fire that we will see. A threat that the kings of Babylon had used on other occasions. It seems to be their favorite form of persecution. Jeremiah 29, Zedekiah, Ahab. It says they were roasted in the fire. It seems to be in Babylon their favorite form. Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 43, When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Now, I'm sure that these three Hebrew men bowed daily in prayer, praying regularly. Countless others passed by. Now the tables are turned. Because when everybody else is bowing down, they will not bow to this. They will not worship another deity. They will not establish the king in worship. And as we approach the final days before the Lord's return, more and more, more and more Christians will face the dilemma of how am I going to live in this world without being of the world? We're going to be looked at strangely by the world, if not hated by the world. It's coming. It's real. Some of you have experienced, and as the Lord tarries and your life continues it may come more and more a dilemma you will face. And for that, you'll have a decision to make. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain of the Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, perhaps some others. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Right? They always promoting, Thou, O king, hast 
made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flutes, harp, sackbut, and all of this music, and worship the golden image that is you, O king, and whoso falleth not down and worship you, king, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace, and there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Remember Daniel's friends that you set up, you promoted above us. I think they've got a little axe to grind here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spake as if, as if he thought maybe they just didn't understand, right? Is it true what I've heard, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you be ready at the time that you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sacred, and all kinds of music. It's like a second chance, right? So, you know, I, maybe you didn't quite understand, but now if you'll just fall down and worship the image which I have made, then all is well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, he was impressed with their God before when he gave the interpretation of the dream. But now I've got you in my hands. Who's going to deliver you out of my hands? Have you ever been to a church that asks all the visitors to stand up or raise your hand? You ever been to one of those churches? If you're visiting with us today, raise your hand, right? And if I made every visitor raise your hand, it makes you feel a little conspicuous, right? Like, oh, I didn't want to be pointed out today. Some of you may like that. But most of us don't want to be sort of pointed out from the rest of the crowd. That's a little like they must have felt as they stood out from the crowd. But more and more, the world is unifying around issues that are forcing a Christian to either go along or stand out. Or lose your job. Or face the full fury of the government at your doorstep. In all of this, some curious unbeliever is probably watching to see what you will do. And if you really believe what you have said. The Chaldeans were probably still angry at Daniel and those three friends for interpreting the dream and jealous of these three Hebrew young, these newcomers, remember these are young men, and they were promoted above all those who had been there for so long, and you just know they were waiting, watching, listening, holding committee meetings, and listening into their cell phone conversations, and, and see how they might find a way to condemn these young men before the king. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego appeared before Nebuchadnezzar, we get a sense of this confident king, right? I mean, he sounds like he's got it, like, there's nothing you can do here. They'd found favor with the king, and since he liked them, he's evidently willing to give them another chance, but he seemed confident that they simply didn't understand, and so he took time to personally explain it to them. He also seemed confident that not even the Hebrew God would be able to deliver them, verse 15, out of his hands, right? But in response, we get a sense of these, these careful young men Shadrach, verse 16, Meshach and Abednego answered and said, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. 
doesn't mean they were careless or thoughtless. In fact, just the opposite is true. When they said, we are not careful to answer thee, it means we have carefully considered and are now confident in our response to you, O king, and we fully accept the consequence. We're not afraid to answer you. That's the sense of what they're saying. Their response implies that their decision was not made with any care for their personal safety, but they would obey the God of heaven. Now, let me just ask you, because in the world in which you and I live, when's the last time you were ever called upon to obey God without any care for your personal safety? Probably never. When's the last time you were called upon God to obey Him without any concern for financial matters? Maybe you were afraid of losing a job. Maybe it's difficult to follow through on a commitment in a giving or offering or such. Or on some level of your personal comfort being challenged if in this thing I obey God rather than man. As we say in the Appalachians, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise, right? That's typically the way we approach most of what we do. But my friend, that won't get most people out of bed on a cold Sunday morning, much less when they are facing a fiery furnace. Good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. And in response to their decision, notice the declaration they make. The dedication of these young men begins verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us either way Out of thy hand. Remember, that's what Daniel had said earlier. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king. So if not, if we get dropped into the fiery furnace and if we leave the face of this earth, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. By life or by death, they would be delivered from the hand of the king. As Paul declared in 2 Corinthians with confidence, he was willing rather to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. Again, he wrote, for me to live is Christ and to die, that's even gain. Dedicating yourself to the Lord means dying to self. As my pastor in Philly said, Pastor Lusk said, every preacher needs to be ready always to do two things, right? Two things. Number one is to preach. And number two is to to die. Now, you may not think, you know, in my world, you know, in Pastor Lusk's world, but you were sharing it with me as well, but in the world at large, more and more, it may be that we face that, and preachers in particular may be on the spotlight. U.S. Chaplain Stuttered Kennedy, this is back to World War II, He ministered often on the battlefront. He wrote a letter to his young sons and this excerpt. I thought it was fitting. The first prayer I want my sons to learn is not, God, keep daddy safe. But God, make daddy brave. He continued, son, life and death don't matter. Right and wrong do. Even in death, I'm still daddy, but if dishonored in life, he wrote, I am something too awful for words. 
The dedication of these young Hebrew men infuriated the king. And so now we, we read the declaration by the king of death, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, so he's even more angry now. In the form of his visage, so he's, he's red in the face. I mean, this guy is, is just ready to explode. Against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach. This is going to be a sad turn of affairs there, but to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And then these men were bound in their coats, their, their, their hosen, their hats, their other garments, as if to make them more flammable, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flame of the fire slew these strong men that were told to take them up and cast them into the fire, Meshach and Abednego, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, before we go on with the story, because you already know it, we've just seen the flames take the life of those who would throw them into the fire. So you see how hot it is. The furnace is shaped like a, well, I don't want to take your mind off onto the eagles yet, but it's shaped like a, like a half a football. Uh, some of the salt barns are shaped that. You ever seen where it's kind of a cone shape? You ever seen that? So it's off the ground, so you got, you got air coming in, and it's hole at the top, and so it's that shape. It's that, so all it's a cone shape going up to the top. So angry, the king heats it up. Hastily, he has them bound and carried to the top where the heat takes the life of the mighty assassins as if to make them more flammable. He dresses them up, ties them up, drops them like cordwood into the fire. But the next thing to happen, right? It amazes even the king, and we read of their deliverance in verse 24. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. Wait a minute. And he, and he, this is the king. The king doesn't stand for anybody, but he gets out of his seat, leans forward a little bit, and in haste spake, so this is a hurried speech of his. Remember, he's, he, he does, he's not raised as a believer, and so he speaks in this hurried fashion, says to his counsel, didn't we cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered, oh, king, yeah, that's true. And he answered and said, lo, I see four men. And notice they're loose now. And walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. He has no other way to describe it. The Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and the captains, and the counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose body the fire had no power. Nor was a hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had even passed on them. What's the only thing that's burned up? Well, you know those, those two assassins, right? And what else? 
Remember, they were bound hand and foot, but now we see them loose and walking about. The only thing that burned off of them were the cords that once held them, right? I don't know what fiery furnace you may be facing, but there's a little application there you can take. You will never know deliverance in the circumstance you're in or that you one day face until you surrender to God in the midst of the circumstance that you are experiencing either now or in the future. So long as you remain defiant toward your adversaries, so long as you grow jealous of others who don't seem to have it as bad as you, so long as you are mad at the world and perhaps even angry with God, you will remain bound by your circumstance. Now, by their deliverance, we first see it physically. God provides. Verse 27, no, no bodies come out blistered, right? They're not blistered from the heat. Their hair is not singed. Their clothing is not scorched. And they don't even smell like smoke. Spiritually, God is present. What amazed the king and captured his attention there in verse 24? What amazed the king and captured his attention there in verse 24, the presence of a fourth, right? King Jimmy says it's the, like the Son of God, which gives the meaning, but it is a little interpretive because Nebuchadnezzar doesn't yet know God, I don't think. In the Aramaic, it's simply said, and remember that's the first half of the book written there in their familiar tongue. It simply says the fourth look like a son of the gods. Now remember, the Babylonians, their earthly gods, they had sons. So he's just trying to describe some form of deity that he's not familiar with. Something spiritual is taking place. Even later in verse 28, when the king says, their God sent an angel. Again, in the Aramaic, it simply says it's some form of deity. God certainly provides ministering spirits, right? Hebrews tells us that, no question. But I believe it would not at all, theologians think this, but I don't believe in any way it would be inappropriate to suggest that this fourth was in fact the Son of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself there that day. And the reason I say that and others do is because if you follow the prophecies of Daniel, it parallels the image of what he will then describe about the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to deliver the believers from the fire of his judgment. So, so it tracks in that way. But for now, let me just make this application, and you'll take this with you, tuck it away somewhere. People will best know about your God when the fires of your circumstance are the hottest. Now think about it. What you say about God when everything is, <laughs> you know, everything's going pretty good. You got a job, you got re in retirement, whatever it is that's going pretty well in your life. And everything's moving in your favor. All of that may be true, but it's not very impressive. I mean, not too many people are going to lean forward in their seat or stand up to look in on your life and to see what it is that God might be doing. 
until you're suffering. And sometimes in the same circumstance that they've been suffering. And now in the suffering of your life, and the questions that you're facing, the things that you're dealing with, now they're going to lean in to see how it is you still have joy and peace and satisfaction that the world simply doesn't understand. The king takes notice, and we see a decree. He can't change his he can't change what he said, but now notice how he layers things in verse 28 of chapter 3. Let me change the page here in verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. This is a phenomenal statement for the king to say. And yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. So I can't change the first one, but now I'm going to add to it. I'm going to make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now you've heard this, you've heard that this is one of their favorite things too, I guess, because we heard this before. You're going to be made shark bait, remember that? It shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made of a dunghill, because there's no other God that can deliver after this sword. And the king promoted even further Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You ever notice how the vocabulary of the unsaved person seems to be limited to, you know, threats and curses? And they don't know how to express themselves. Even when they're, even when they're first experiencing something of the Lord or trying to understand what it is you're talking about, they, they have no other way to express themselves. And then by the end of verse 30, the same oath that he made against the Chaldeans, he takes now against anyone else. You'll be cut into shark bait, etc. We need to be patient. Let me just say, we need to be patient. Some dear person who may be in our church or some other believer that you meet along the way, and they've come to Christ, but they've been raised in the Catholic Church. Whatever else. And the vocabulary is going to be, you know, not like the heritage that you're familiar with. And they're going to try to express themselves in ways that, that's just not, just be patient, just be patient. But neither should we dumb down our vocabulary for fear of being offensive, of course. We don't want to do that. The gospel will be offensive. By the way, these Hebrew friends, they never speak evil of the king. They're not indignant. They never seek to undermine his authority. They continue, though, to recognize that king, your authority has come from who? From God. Nebuchadnezzar is getting closer to the truth. And his first decree is that these young men, is that God of these young men is powerful. He still doesn't know the Hebrew word for God. The only God that is the God of heaven. Remember, that's the the theme throughout the book. Certainly greater than any of his gods of earth. And then to admit that their God had changed the king's word, right? I made this decree. Who can deliver you out of my hands? And their God in fact, did. The second part of his decree is that these young men were promoted. Two times these young men had faced death, and both times they are delivered, and the result is they're promoted. From the trials of Job, we read, God knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me just add a caveat to it, because I don't want you to go away from this place thinking, Pastor says, if I follow the Lord, everything will work out for me. You missed the point. That's not the case. 
From the trials of life and the threat of death, we who love the Lord are promised a crown of life, either by life or by death, to stand in his presence and receive the crown of life. James 1, Revelation 2. In the early Greek church, it was around A.D. 400, prolific writer Chrysostom is his name. And uh, he was brought before the emperor. He gave, uh, gave a defense of the Lord. And uh, this emperor said, I will banish you from the empire. Chrysostom said, you cannot, for the whole world is my father's land. You cannot banish me. The emperor said, then I will take away all of your property. Chrysostom said, you cannot, for my treasures are all laid up in heaven. Then I'll take you to a place where there is no friend to ever speak to. And Chrysostom said, you cannot, for I have a friend who is closer than a brother. I shall have Jesus Christ forever. The king, like Nebuchadnezzar, or this emperor, like Nebuchadnezzar, is starting to get red in the face and a little angry. And it's recorded that in his frustration, he threatened him and said, then I will take away your life. And his answer was, you cannot, for my life is hid with God in Christ. And with that, we've never heard from Chrysostom again, so I'm not sure what happened. But this Oscar night of Nebuchadnezzar had more spectacular events than any Hollywood special effects or stuntmen could capture on film. There's no camera tricks, no magic. You either believe the record of Daniel or you don't. 